Well, welcome to week four of our series, The Art of Neighboring. We've been uh, looking at what Jesus calls the second greatest commandment, to love our neighbor as ourself. We've been looking at some stories that Jesus has told about the Good Samaritan and how that modifies or makes us look at what loving our neighbor looks like. Last week, we looked at the story of Mary and Martha, looking at uh, how we should behave in response to perhaps what's normal in our culture. And we've been really trying to renegotiate, reevaluate what neighboring can and should look like from a biblical perspective, and then translating that into, well, the 21st century in our lives as we know it. Now, one of those pieces has been this block map that we've been challenging you to fill out. Remember, we played tic-tac-toe, and you're the square in the middle. We're looking for names, and then we're looking for some facts, and then hopefully some hopes or dreams, some bigger, deeper things to look at when it comes to loving our neighbors. So, how you doing on our your homework? Did you make time this week for a conversation? I'm happy to report I learned uh, the newest neighbors who moved in. I learned their names uh, and uh, made some space for a small conversation there. So, uh, that's one little blank filled in and a whole lot more for me to go. How about you? How are you doing in your block map? Well, today we're going to talk about another limiting factor. Last week it was kind of time and how we have to make time or set intentional space in our schedule to greet our neighbors. Today we're going to talk about maybe what we could call the motivation to reach out to our neighbors, the heartbeat behind it that Jesus displays, because one of the main obstacles when it comes to our neighbors are these fences, right? Maybe you can see the wood fence behind me, but there's these fences that we build up to protect our property, right? They keep our dogs and our kids in line. They make sure that we know who's on which side. They make sure that we can have some semblance of privacy in our backyards when we just want some family time. And in general, we like fences, right? They keep us safe, they protect us, they let us know where our boundaries lie. The one thing we don't like about fences is when the kids kick their ball over and we gotta walk around, or if you're really good, then you make them walk around and knock on their neighbor's door to get their ball back. But this is the piece of the American dream, right? The white picket fence. We want to have our property and our barrier around us. This is our castle, our sanctuary, the place that we kind of protect and have our lives. And again, if we're honest, we like that privacy. We like that ability to simply have our own space. Maybe it's your sanctuary. It's the sacred space that you have that isn't work and that isn't something that drains you, but maybe a place where you can find some fulfillment. Again, there's nothing bad or wrong with a fence or the barriers that we create or even the social structures that those create. It just makes it difficult to create community with our neighbors. Puts up a barrier, literally, between us and them, and it makes it difficult sometimes for us to connect. Not impossible, certainly not wrong, but it just makes one little more intentional step that we have to make to get there. See, fences put up barriers between our neighbors. They allow us to live our lives insulated, that we never have to come in contact with anyone else unless we intentionally go out of our way, much like the Good Samaritan demonstrated to us just a few weeks ago. So today we're going to be 
in Luke chapter 7. There's another story of Jesus that he tells that maybe can help us understand this motivation, this heartbeat to go outside of our fence, to go and meet our neighbors. Let's see how Jesus structures these conversations. This is Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 37. It says, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured for perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave both of the debts. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman, and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Just like the last couple weeks, this story has so much rich cultural heritage that we can pull out of it, right? The style of which the story is told makes it plain that there are multiple levels going on here. There's the level at which Jesus is addressing the woman, the level of Jesus addressing his disciples, those people who are followers of him, the dichotomy of that between the way he addresses them, but also is clearly speaking to this group of Pharisees, these onlookers who are just watching the story play out. So many fascinating parts about the woman's story, her alabaster jar, the significance of her tears washing Jesus's feet, the significance of a kiss and of anointing oil in that culture. We could spend weeks just talking about this story. But I just want to focus in on one little part for us here, right? And first, let's set the scene, right? Jesus is known as a religious figure, right? You hear it in the text that the Pharisee was wondering if Jesus was a prophet. So they knew kind of who Jesus was, what he was about. So much so that this Pharisee, the religious elite leader, invites Jesus for a meal at his home. And it's not just a one-on-one meal between families, right? We know that Jesus has at least one disciple there, probably more. We know that the Pharisee not only was there, but that there were other guests. We find that out later in the story. And so we can view this as a dinner party, right? There's lots of people around, right? But we're told also that there is a party crasher. 
that there's a woman with an alabaster jar of perfume and she lived a sinful lifestyle. As much as Luke tries to sugarcoat this for her and for us, he's identifying her lifestyle as one of being a prostitute. And so she hears that Jesus is at this party and something motivates her, something pulls her to come and to attend. Now think about the social ridicule that she would have been prepared to endure, right? She knows and understands whose house this is. She knows who the dinner guests are, but something from probably a previous interaction with Jesus drove her and led her to come into this house and to perform these sacrificial actions. Again, the alabaster jar is probably very, very expensive and signifies a significant piece of how she made her money. The significance of her tears wetting Jesus's feet. If you think feet are nasty now, imagine being 2,000 years ago wearing sandals in the desert in a hot, arid climate all day, right? Feet were nasty. And so the significance of her tears and of feet washing is something that the text brings out to us. Right? That clearly Jesus meant something to her, that she's willing to endure such ridicule and to come to him under these pretenses. And Jesus uses this as an illustration. If you didn't catch it in the text, it says that the Pharisee thought something and then Jesus replied, which is fascinating in and of itself. But Jesus tells a story about the forgiveness of debts and debtors and the person who's forgiven more loves more and he uses this woman's actions as a declaration of that existence. But the, the crux for us today comes in verse 44. It's in the middle of the story. Jesus has an audience, right? Everybody's tuned in, watching this interaction with the woman. They're waiting and watching for Jesus' response. And, and Jesus has been talking one-on-one -on -one to Simon, right? His disciple. He's reclining at the table. It's probably after the meal has been finished. And so he's having kind of a one-on-one -on -one conversation. But the room has tied down, right? Slowly, everything turns. And this is what the text says. So he turned towards the woman and said to Simon. So up until now, the, the picture is that he's been talking to Simon, Simon Peter, and he's been having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. But now he turns his attention, right? Now he's fully gazing at the woman who's been performing these sacrificial acts of devotion and love upon him. So he's addressing Simon, right? Simon Peter, one of his disciples. The whole conversation has been pointed at him. He's been having this one-on-one -on -one conversation, but now the attention swings to notifying the three groups that are all paying attention. The woman, his followers, and also those Pharisees who are trying to evaluate where Jesus falls into their whole socioeconomic structure. And then Jesus asks this very, very innocuous, innocent, uh, almost not needing a response question, but it carries so much weight. He simply says this, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Um, yes, Jesus. Everyone sees this woman. I don't know if you know, but it's kind of a scene right now, right? Everybody's looking. All eyes are focused. The noise at the party has died down. Everyone is paying attention to the interaction between Jesus and this woman. Yes, Jesus, I obviously see this woman. Everyone sees this woman. You just told a story about her debt being forgiven and forgiving her sins. Everyone heard that too. 
but Jesus turns his body, right? All eyes are on him. And perhaps if you can picture it with me, you can see the compassion welling up in his eyes as he turns to address and speak towards this woman while teaching the grander lesson of her love to the room. Perhaps his eyes become teary-eyed as he thinks about the fondness that he has for his child, his creation. Simon, do you see this woman? It's not a physical question, right? Of course, everybody sees her in the room. Everybody's attention is focused on it, but he's asking a deeper question. Do you see the reality of this woman? Do you see her experiences? Do you see the tension that she knows when she walked into the room to wash his feet and anoint his head? Do you understand the hurt and the pain that led her to live the lifestyle that she's been forced to lead? He's not asking, do you see her physically in the space? He's asking, do you see and understand? Can you acknowledge the human experience, not only that is happening in this moment, but the human experience that has led up to every moment before now. Jesus, as he so often is, is moved to compassion for her. He sees and knows her life story played out, past, present, and future. He sees and understands the pain and the courage that it takes in this moment and the actions of repentance that she now demonstrates. And so he asks the room, the audience, the entire tenor of scripture, we're talking about it 2,000 years later, do you actually see this woman? He asks the question to the room of religious elites. Can you look past the superficial, which of course they couldn't, they were already judging her for her sinful lifestyle, but can you see the fullness of human expression present in her? Can you step away from your fancy party long enough to stop being outraged or disgraced or judgmental and just see her? See, as people, as a society, as human beings, we put up fences, these barriers between us, even the people who are closest in proximity to us. Because when it comes right down to it, we don't want to actually see them. Sure, we see them, right? We wave, we can say hello, we can know their names, we can keep things cordial. But to actually see another human being, to know them at the deepest parts of themselves, to understand who they are, what makes them tick, what the redemptive arc of their story is, to introduce them into an eternal Savior who loves them, that gets messy really, really quick. Jesus invites not only his listeners, but us into this space to actually see the people around us. So I guess what I'm asking us today is, do you see your neighbors? Do you see their hopes and their fears, their past, their presence, and their futures, their needs and their dreams? Do you actually see them, or do you simply live your life in close proximity, passing by? Just like the woman in this story, feeling invisible, but nobody is actually invisible. They're just ignored. To see our neighbors, as Jesus asked the people at this party to see the woman, is to stop ignoring the hurt and pain, the opportunities and obstacles, and to see the people that we are closest to in a way that actually moves us to care about them. 
it's so much easier to just ignore them, to just live your life, to not care about the people next door, what happens, right? Obviously, our lives don't have to interconnect. To just shut the garage door and not think about it. To not try to start some awkward conversations. To not devote the mental and emotional energy to it. Because we're tired too, right? We're spread thin too. They didn't come knocking on our doors. Why should I go to theirs? I kind of like my privacy and my free time. And my home is my sanctuary, right? It's the place where I don't have to be on all the time from the stresses of the world and work. And I'm with you on that. I hear you. I agree with you. It's just not following Jesus. We put up fences, but Jesus' entire ministry was about tearing down the walls that separate us. The walls that separate us from God, the walls that separate us from human to human, people to people. Here's how it says it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. Look, fences are one type of walls. We could go way off on the rabbit trail and talk about politics or your view on the science behind COVID-19 and where you land on wearing masks or whether or not this is an actual disease or a fake one. And I'm not going to debate any of that. I'm simply here to point at Jesus who tears down the walls of hostility. And that if we're followers of Jesus, if we're people of Jesus, if we're following in his footsteps, then we need to actively about the unity and removing the hostility that Jesus proclaims in every area of our life. Whether it's politics, to health and science, to even our neighbors across the street. We are his chosen witnesses to demonstrate a new kind of living, following after the way of Jesus that he produces in us and through us to the world around us. That's why we're doing this series. That's why we're talking about this. It's the block maps, right? The, these are the beginning answers to do we even see our neighbors. It's the invitation to begin chipping away at the walls that we build up. And the reality is that this is really, really tough. All relationships take work. This is much more difficult than living normally and just having your own privacy in your own space. It's going to be messy. There are going to be hard conversations. It's going to be painful. It's going to require something from us when we actually see the people around us with the compassion that Jesus invites us to. The scary reality is that living our lives more open is an invitation for more problems, more difficulties, more being taken advantage of and being misunderstood or accused or rejected and ostracized. But that verse in Ephesians 2 reminds us that Jesus is our peace, that he is our protector, that he's the one that we should be trusting. We're not to be guarding ourselves, but to trust in him. When we stay put in our safe environments, we miss out on Jesus' protection. But when we step out in faith, trusting in him, that's when we grow. But the reality is that growth is always painful. It's those painful experiences that stretch us, that make us uncomfortable, that make us step out of our comfort zone. So when we see our neighbors, when we begin to remove these walls and start a journey of obedience and following Christ in these new spaces, what are the steps that we take? How do we live this out? Well, I'm not trying to be redundant, but hopefully this is clear, right? You start with your block map. 
getting names and hopes and facts, getting to actually know the people because it's hard to love someone and care about someone deeply when you don't even know their name or their story or what they care about. Number two, we talked about this last week, then you've got to make some time, some intentional time. You've got to walk to get the mail instead of drive. You've got to park on the street and walk slowly. When you see or hear your neighbor fire up the lawnmower, get up off the couch and walk over to them. Go outside on purpose with no agenda but speaking to them. Sit on your front or back porch and intentionally and prayerfully look for opportunities to connect. Right? And then here's your new one for this week. Once you identify, once you make some time and begin these conversations, then make an invite. Make an invite. Invite them in to something. Maybe it's an event or a meal or a play date, some opportunity to spend some intentional time together. Now, asterisk, disclaimer, I know we're in the middle of a pandemic. I know it's COVID, so filter this through your comfort and the reality of our world today and maybe file it away for the day when you become comfortable with this. But to break down barriers, invite someone in right? Invite them to dinner. Hey, you're new here. We've never actually had you over. Would you like to come over, right? It's Labor Day weekend. Maybe you're having people over anyway, and you could create that opportunity. Maybe because it's the coronavirus, you have no plans for Labor Day, and it'd be an easy conversation with your neighbor to say, hey, let's set up some bags between our driveways. Maybe we could grill out together, and the families could just spend some time out here together for the holiday. Or how about this? Maybe get together with a couple people from church and set opportunities where you can go over to each other's houses, have a grill out, have a barbecue, have play dates with the sole intention of enabling you to invite your neighbors to come also. So hey, this weekend we're going to be at your place so you can invite your neighbors. In two weeks we'll be at my place so we can invite our neighbors. Work together to create a space for you to be able to reach out and to invite your neighbors in to come to something. Here's a ninja level hint for you as well. If you want to connect with your neighbors, give them the opportunity for you to be indebted to them. Here's what I mean. Nothing works as well as asking someone for help. So there's a project in your garage. You see your neighbor working with a table saw and you go, hey, my stairs are a little shaky. Could you come help look at them for me? Or I need this favor done. Could you help me move this couch outside to the curb? When we do that, we place ourselves in their debt because the unspoken neighborly debt, right, is that if I help you, then you're obligated to help me at some point in the future. When you make that first step, you allow yourself to be in their presence and to invite them to invite you in. So if you can't find anything else to do, ask your neighbor for help. Could be something simple, could be something big but ask someone to help you and maybe in return they'll ask you back and you can create some conversations in deeper levels for invitations there. Look, Jesus invites us. He calls us to love our neighbors. And in our world, that's difficult. We have to work intentionally at removing barriers, at breaking down walls of hostility, at making time to care for and to actually see the people who are closest to us. It's our duty to bring about his kingdom, to love our actual neighbors. And while it may not seem like much, filling out your block map is actually a spiritual exercise. 
Making intentional time to reach out for a conversation to your neighbors is a spiritual experience. Having an invitation of someone into your home or into your backyard or a play space at a neutral location is absolutely an invitation into a spiritual conversation because you're there. And when you're present, the kingdom of God is present in you, attempting to break through. It's our opportunity, it's our privilege to be a part of that kingdom of God that breaks through, that wants to be in your house, in your backyard, in your neighborhood. He wants to be present in all of your interactions, but we have to do it intentionally. And the secret is that on the other side of all of these hard, awkward conversations is the life that you've been secretly wanting. A life of deep relationship, a life filled with caring for people who are near you, a life of redemptive purpose through godly wisdom to your friends and neighbors, and the opportunity lies before us. It just takes a little bit of work, some intentionality, and seeing our neighbors for who they are. I hope you're encouraged this week to do that. I hope you find the God-given moments and opportunities to reach out to your neighbors. And I hope that this finds you well as you continue to weather and endure the current situation of this world. Let's pray today before we sing one more song. Jesus, we are so challenged by your words to see the people around us. So often we have our blinders up, or even worse, our judgmental glances, just like the Pharisees, to see people through our worldview and through the small window that we have into their lives. God, enlarge our compassion, enlarge our vision to see the people around us the way you see them, as whole human beings with past, presents, and futures, with redemptive arcs, with love and compassion for their entire story, and enable and equip us to be messengers and carriers of your gospel as we seek to interact and to love them at every opportunity that we have. God, be with us this week until we're able to return together safely. We give you all of our praise, all the glory, and all the honor. All God's kids said, Amen. Amen.